Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to Get That Bread, a podcast discussing value investing strategies. On this episode, we're going to continue our series-long conversation regarding stock valuation. I know in the most recent episode, I talked about Newell Brands, ticker symbol NWL. And, you know, discussing specific stocks, it's definitely the purpose for this channel. It's something that we're going to get to later on. But I just want to wrap up the series regarding valuation first. Just so that, you know, the newcomers to investing... Uh, at least they have some framework for being able to um, value companies. So, okay, so on this episode, we're going to talk about two very important valuation metrics, and they include EV to EBITDA and EV to EBIT. Typically speaking, uh, just referencing you know my own experience in equity research, I know that we used EV to EBITDA in conjunction with uh, the price to earnings ratio. Price to earnings ratio is something I discussed in an earlier episode, so if you're not familiar with that, definitely check that out. And so the reason why is because price to earnings, it doesn't consider the capital structure of a company. So it's very important to consider the debts of a business because that will dictate to you, okay, how risky is this particular enterprise? So whenever you're considering the whole capital structure, which enterprise value does, um, that considers you know the financing of a business. That's why EVD, EBITDA, EVD, EBIT, they're going to be pretty useful metrics to use. So let's just start this conversation off with the more popular, uh, arguably the more popular and widely used metric, EV to EBIT. And just like the way I say it, it's just a ratio. I know, you know, for those of you guys who are brand new to these terms, um, it could sound pretty esoteric, but it's just a simple, simple math equation. It's enterprise value divided by EBITDA. And EBITDA is just this kind of like super long, wacky acronym. It's earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization. In short, all you got to really know is that it's uh, operating income plus depreciation and amortization. If you want to do extra work, you can start from the very bottom of the income statement. So go net income plus taxes plus interest expense plus depreciation and amortization. And then you get to your EBITDA. Okay, so moving on, the way that you would typically employ this valuation metric is for comparables analysis. And so what I mean by that is, let's say you have a particular company in your sites, you would arrive at the EV to EBITDA multiple for that particular company, and then look at the competitive peer group. Where are they trading at um, in terms of this EV to EBITDA multiple? So um, that would be a gauge for you as the investor to be able to dictate, okay, is this expensive or is this cheap compared to its competitive peer group? And that's kind of um, just like the way it is in the name. That's why you call it comparables, comparing between one company versus its peers. That's comparables analysis. Now, another way of utilizing this particular metric is when a company goes ahead and outright purchases another business whole or buys some sub-segment of assets. And whenever that kind of transaction occurs, uh, usually there are disclosures made around transaction details, like how much money was paid and um, what were the embedded multiples uh, associated with that transaction. And the most commonly used multiple, in my experience, uh, that's been disclosed is EV to EBITDA. And now what you can do is just simply extrapolate that multiple and utilize that as some basis or proxy for the valuation of similar assets or businesses. So take, for example, in um, December 2018, outdoor advertising company Lamar, which owns you know billboard assets, bought 
other billboards from Fairway Outdoor Advertising for 12 times trailing EBITDA. So if you were kind of interested in looking at uh, similar companies or similar assets, you can take that 12 times EBITDA and um, pretty much utilize that multiple and say, hey, I think this other grouping of um, billboard companies could be valued at 12 times EBITDA because, uh, well, another business bought it at that multiple. So that's kind of informative for you and I for being able to gauge, you know, what is the value of other similar groupings of assets? With that being said, just a quick caveat, that is a little bit of a theoretical exercise because um, we're not always going to be privy to some of the synergy benefits associated and that are unique to one particular transaction. And so those synergy benefits are can and yeah, they can uh, meaningfully impact where the you know where the multiples ultimately land. Now, with all that being said, it's still nevertheless a, a, a useful way to value different businesses. Okay, so I kind of want to make one comment about EBITDA as a profitability measure. So, it is, like, like I said, EBITDA and EBIT, EBITDA, it's the, you know, the profitability measure and the, and the multiple is widely used and accepted on Wall Street, largely because EBITDA, it strips out these incidental or ancillary expenses like taxes and financing costs. And in addition to that, these non-cash items called depreciation and amortization. Now, the reason um, for these, for this very reason why it's being stripped out, uh, Wall Street kind of arrives at the conclusion that it's a, uh, a truer indication of the underlying economic performance of a business. Now, I have a few qualms with that kind of conclusion. I, I don't think that's necessarily true. And so if you were to just consider, say you own uh, Delta Airlines, you're the sole shareholder of a billion dollar business or a multi-billion dollar business. If you bought a seven three, Boeing 737 aircraft for somewhere between 150 to $200 million and you did not factor the cost of that investment or the cost of the airplane into your PL, that doesn't make any economic sense whatsoever. So depreciation and amortization, while it is a non-cash expense, it it is a real expense that you had had to pay at the which you had paid at the onset when you when you assumed ownership of that particular asset. Just because it's being recognized later on doesn't eliminate the fact that you had actually paid for that asset. And that has to be considered in the profitability of your business. Otherwise, you are ultimately and essentially over-inflating your profitability and earnings of the business. So um, that's, that's kind of why I don't think EBITDA is going to be the best measure of profitability. Also, just this, just kind of, you know, Another kind of theoretical way of thinking about this is, you know, if you don't consider DNA into your PL, it's kind of like pretending like your existing base of assets can extend out into perpetuity and will continue to support your business forever. But you and I, they, we both know that everything, all assets, right, all fixed tangible assets, they do break down. Just think about, you know, your own bike or your own car, right? Over time, through natural wear and tear, it'll break down. Same thing with assets. So um, with assets and, and businesses overall, there's going to be some required level of reinvestment to the business and to simply 
not consider DNA is like pretending as if you don't have to do that. And so, uh, again, another reason why I think you'd be overstating the profitability of your business. That's why EBIT, or which is synonymous with operating income or operating profit, is going to be, in my view, a better measure of profitability. And, and the reason why I think EV to EBIT, the less commonly used multiple, is going to be more informative for value investors. So regarding that, just like the way you use EV to EBITDA, you pretty much use EV to EBIT in the same manner, right? Comparables analysis, transaction multiples, um, if transaction multiples are disclosed on an EV to EBIT basis. And another interesting thing is I think you can use EV to EBIT um, for an earnings yield indication. So if you were to just flip it, I think it's a it's a better measure of earnings yield than uh, EV to EBITDA. Okay, so just another remaining few notes regarding these, um, you know, these profitability measures, EBITDA and EBIT. The only difference between EBITDA and EBIT is depreciation and amortization. So uh, the first point I just want to make is that if you were to analyze these two profitability measures for a specific business, it could signal to you just how capital intensive that particular business is is so what i mean by that is you know usually businesses that are awfully capital intensive so they require huge fixed assets uh so think you know factories uh mining companies um united continental or, or you know delta major airline or you know something a company like that requires big investments they're usually going to have a larger base of fixed assets and if they do that means they're going to incur larger depreciation and amortization expenses. So that in turn would lead you to kind of infer that the the wider the disparity between EBITDA and EBIT, the more capital intensive that particular business is going to be. The reason why I bring all this up is because if say you have um, two businesses in front of you that generate the same level of income, but one is far more capital intensive than the other, you would generally want to own the less capital intensive business because it requires less ongoing reinvestment into that business. So this kind of like ties into another metric, return on invested capital. If you have a, you know, if, for the less in cap, capital intensive business, if it generates 30% uh, returns on invested capital, in short, ROIC, um, Versus, let's say, the other one, the alternative, and let's say that generates 15% return on invested capital. Well, what that really means at the end of the day is the higher return business for each dollar invested into that business, it will yield 30 cents in profit. Whereas for the alternative business, for each dollar invested, it will generate 15 cents. So that's kind of why capital intensiveness or capital intensity is going to be an important um, indication for investors or informative to investors as far as which which ones are going to be more attractive to consider for long-term investment purposes. So I just want to leave you with that. So uh, these episodes, they are launched in tandem with episodes on our YouTube channel, which you can find us at Get That Bread. Um, in the YouTube channel, I go through a case question involving these multiples uh, and how capital structures can change, and when they do change, how uh, value can possibly be unlocked at the company. 
And so while I don't think I can really touch on some of the nuances and walk you through the complexities of that case through audio format, I definitely recommend you to check it out on YouTube. And so that's available for you guys there to take a look at and to consider. And um, definitely let me know what your thoughts are. With that, we're wrapping up this conversation. If you thought this conversation was somewhat interesting or um, it kind of made you recognize or see something you hadn't seen before, I definitely appreciate it if you hit the subscribe button, leave us a comment, give us five star reviews, and let let your friends or yeah, let your friends know who are interested in investing in this resources there. I'd really appreciate it if um, yeah, you you give us some feedback. And so uh, with that, I'll uh, I'll catch you guys on the next episode. All right, take care, guys. Bye. The opinions expressed in this podcast reflects the opinions of the presenter at the time they were made and are subject to change any time after the date of the podcast's production without notice. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. This podcast is for educational purposes only. While the statements made in this podcast is based on publicly available information and is believed to be accurate as of the date given, no representation is made with regard to its accuracy or completeness. This podcast and the affiliated content are neither an offer nor a solicitation to buy or sell securities. The presenter and its affiliates may directly hold securities mentioned in this material.